Well, I, I too want to welcome you all here, especially those of you that are uh, visiting and maybe you're listening online. Uh, we're grateful you're listening online. Maybe you're listening on the radio or whatever. Uh, we have lots of people, hundreds of people that uh, watch live on the internet and uh, listen on the radio and all that kind of stuff. And especially those of you that are, are, are with us uh, right now, if you have a Bible, you can turn it to Nehemiah chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, all the notes are inside your program, or they'll be on the Jumbotron. Uh, we just we want you to see the Word of God for yourself. Um, I was just standing down there, and I, for whatever reason, I, I want to encourage you with something. I want to encourage you to start thinking right now about Easter and who, uh, who you might bring to Big Valley Grace at uh, one of our many, many Easter gatherings we'll have, and we always act, add different, more gatherings. And once you start thinking, praying right now, who's that friend of yours who maybe doesn't know the Lord yet? Who's that family member, neighbor, somebody you work with? And I want you to begin now. I know it's weeks off, but I want you to begin now as an individual to pray for that person. Maybe as a family you would begin to pray. Maybe there's somebody you go to school with down at the JC or Stanislaus State, or maybe you're a high school student. You go to Davis or Downey or Byer or Modesto or you know, Enoch, so whatever, whatever school it is. And maybe there's some student there that you, you know doesn't know the Lord, and I want you to be praying for them. Because there's going to come a moment when we want you to invite them here. And good uh, Palm Weekend, we're going to have um, the Jews for Jesus folks here. It's going to be a great weekend. And then the following weekend's Easter, and I just believe that God's going to do some great things. God's going to answer lots of your prayers. The weekend right after Easter, we're going to begin a brand new series uh, entitled The Fruit That Makes a Marriage Great. It's going to be a, a nine weeks on marriage. And I'll tell you right now, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your marriage. It's going to, it's going to change your future marriage. It's going to be a life-changing series. And uh, this past week, I just began to kind of think through Easter a little bit and what, what the Lord might have me to say. Um, and so we as a family, let's all begin to pray right now. Let's all begin to think and dream about who God might put in our path that we could bring them uh, to church that weekend and enjoy some great music and all of that and, and hear the, the most Fantastic news ever. Jesus walked out of a grave to offer life to anybody that would put their trust in him. And so just let's partner together, okay, church, and uh, for, for this next uh, Easter season. Um, well, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace where we're looking through the, the, the book of Nehemiah together. It's, it's really a series on, on leadership, uh, what, what, what good, godly, effective leadership looks like. And the reason why this is important is because everybody in this room is a leader. You're an influencer. I've talked about this before, but you might be a leader or an influencer in your home. You know, you have the title of dad that makes you a leader, makes you an influencer. You may have the title of mom. That, that, that makes you a leader, makes you an influencer in your home. You may have the title of firstborn. And I realize that in our culture, that may not mean a whole lot, but in biblical times, that, that meant a lot. That was a weighty thing, and it's still a weighty thing now to be the firstborn in a family. You're a leader. You're an influencer, and maybe you never thought of it, uh, about it that way. You might be a, a leader or an, inf, an influencer in, uh, in the classroom. You're, you're a teacher. You're an aide. Maybe you're a, a student in that classroom. And you're a, you're a leader in there. You're an influencer in, in that classroom. You might be a, a leader or an influencer in your neighborhood. You might be a leader or an influencer at the business that you own. A lot of people have emailed me and sent me messages that said, you know, I've only viewed myself as a business owner. And it was in this series that all of a sudden uh, something you know, was tweaked, and I began to see myself as a leader, as an influencer of, of people. You, you, you might be a, a leader or an influencer at the place that you work. You don't own the business, 
but you're the manager, you're the supervisor, um, or you're just a, a person that has great influence. You might be a leader or an influencer on the team that you play for, baseball, you know, football, you know, soccer, whatever, whatever it might be. And obviously, you're the leader of your own life. And some of you never thought about that. You're the leader of your own life. You, you have influence over your own life. Beloved, it doesn't matter where it is. Every one of us is a leader. We're, we're, an, we're an influencer. Some may have, you know, more influence than, than, than others. So it's important that we all learn how to be good leaders because the alternative is you're just a crummy leader. Really. I mean, you're either a good leader in your home or you're a crummy leader in your home. You're either a good leader at work or a crummy leader. You're either leading your own life in a good way or you're leading your own life, influencing your own life in a crummy way. And so this is an, an important topic, and Nehemiah is just a great guy. Uh, he was a good leader, a great leader. And yes, the book of Nehemiah is a history book. It gives us a, a, a bit of Jewish history. And on some plane, we as followers of Jesus need to know history just for history's sake. But I'm, I'm working really, really hard to also then make it uh, practical for all of us today. And uh, you'll see here in a minute that, that I had to work really hard uh, the, the, this week. Um, now, so far, we've looked at prayer. Good leaders are people who pray. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He hears about a problem that's going on. And for months and months, the Bible says that he prays. Incredible man of prayer. Then we looked at planning Good leaders have to plan, right? You got to plan in your home when you're going to go on vacation, where you're going to go on vacation. You got to pack up a suitcase or six. You got to, you know, there's, there's always planning involved in good leadership. You want to lead your own life? Well, you got to plan. You got to think through your own life. It's amazing to me how many followers of Jesus don't have a plan for their own life. They don't have a plan on how they're going to read through the Bible. They don't have a plan on how they're going to memorize scripture. They don't have a plan in how they're going to learn more about the Bible. They don't have a plan when they're going to pray. And that, that's just, you're leading your life in a crummy way. You only get one shot at this thing called life. Let's do right, right? We also learned that uh, uh, last week that that, um, you know, a good leader is somebody who can motivate people. Good, good leaders know how to motivate people to action, right? And today we're going to look at how a leader organizes. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, let everything be done in a right and orderly way. Okay, the God that we serve, Christian, is a God of order, you see it everywhere. You see it in nature. You, 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 you see it in the animal kingdom. You, you, you see it at Burger King, for crying out loud. There's, the, there, there's order in everything. You show me a place that doesn't have order, and I'll show you chaos. And that might be some of your homes. Let everything, let your home be done in a right and orderly way. How you manage your home, how you manage your business ought to be done in a right and orderly way. And God gives us lots of principles on how you ought to lead your business or whatever it might be. It could be your own personal life. Your own life ought to be done in a, in a right and in an orderly way. And some people, you know, are more orderly than others. Some of you aren't orderly at all, and your life is somewhat of a, a chaotic mess. And so one of the things that we are going to see here in chapter 3 of Nehemiah is, man, the guy was unbelievable in how he organized things. Now, now once again, before we hear the text, um, I want to set up the text. And some of you are going, oh, man, I've been here since the beginning. You're really going to do that again? Yeah, I am. <laughs> because here's the deal. I want you to be able to know this. I want to jam it in here so that you can then teach maybe your kids or your grandkids or your parents or your friends or somebody. I want you to know what the book of Nehemiah is about, at least the broad stroke. God had given the Jewish people 
his commands. Hey, Jewish people, you know, I want you to live a certain way. And uh, the Jewish people at that time said, no, thank you, God. We don't want to live by your commands, your decrees. And so they blew God off. And that always comes with a consequence. Look, um, God has given us some commands. He's given us some decrees. He's told us how we ought to live our lives. God has said, hey, here's how I want you to live. Here are the things I want you to do with your life. He's also said, here are some things I, I want you to stay away from. And let me tell you something. If you honor God and, and you follow what God says, he'll bless your life. He'll blow your mind. But if you choose to blow God off, man, it comes with a consequence. It came with a consequence thousands of years ago, 2,500 years ago, in the time of Nehemiah, and it, it still comes with a consequence today. And so the Jews blew off God, and, and so God uh, um, allowed an evil army, a conquering army, the Persian army, to come to Jerusalem, and man, they, you know, had battering rams, and they knocked down the walls that protected the city, and Man, they, they went into the city and they just wiped everything out and tore down all the buildings and, and all the houses. And they, they tore down the temple where the people went and worshiped God. It was really a mess. And then what they did was uh, this Persian army that was led by uh, a guy by the name of Artaxerxes, he takes all the, um, all the Jewish people and he deports them from Jerusalem, which is in Israel today, and he deports them to Babylon, and Babylon is where Iraq is today. So if you look on a map, anytime you read the word Babylon in, in the Old Testament, just, just think about Iraq, where it is. You hear about it in the news and all that. That's where Babylon was at the time. And that was about 1,000 miles away, and so all of the people, the Jewish people, were deported to Babylon. And that's where they lived for a long, long time. And then the grace of God was poured out on the Jewish people. And it was a number of decades later, God allowed a first group of Jewish people to make their way back to Jerusalem. And when they made that thousand-mile trek from Babylon back to Jerusalem, when they arrived, obviously they saw a city that was just decimated. The, the walls had all been broken down. The city was a bloody mess. I've told you just to think about Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Sandy, and when you saw the, the aerial photos of the, of the city, man, it was just just mess. That's what Jerusalem looked like. Well, it wasn't long after that, about uh, 20 years after that first group of Jews returned to Jerusalem, that once again God extended his grace to the people and they were able to rebuild their temple. That was an important thing to the Jews, and so they rebuilt the temple in the city, but the, the city was still a mess, and the walls were uh, a mess and, and all that. And then about um, 60 years after the temple was rebuilt, a guy by the name of Ezra, he wrote one of the books of the Bible, he brought a second group of Jews back to Jerusalem. So the, the grace of God was being poured out on the people. Yes, they had blown it, and yes, they came with a consequence, but now God is extending his grace, and the people are making their way back to their, their city. But the place was still a mess. Nehemiah probably was, had never been to Jerusalem. His mom and dad were probably a part of the captivity. That, you know, and they, was, He was probably born in Babylon. Okay, uh, Nehemiah had... Um, served well, he lived a life of great integrity, and he had kind of made his way up the, the, the corporate ladder, if you will, and he was a big shot in the Persian government. He was a high official next to King Artaxerxes. He was what was called a cupbearer, and that was kind of like a secret service agent of the day for him. He was kind of like a prime minister. Well, one day his brother, who had gone to Jerusalem, comes home, and Nehemiah and his brother got together, and Nehemiah says, you know, hey, tell me about Jerusalem. And his brother tells him it's a mess. That the walls are broken down, the city's a mess, the, the people are all bummed out and depressed, and the morale's low, and it's just really a, a, a really crummy deal. And man, that just breaks Nehemiah's heart. Even though he'd never been there, it just broke his heart to think that all of his relatives, you know, were heading back that way, his people were heading there, and the, and the town that they lived in was a mess. All of the graves of his forefathers had all been decimated. It just really bummed him out. And so he begins to pray. And the Bible says that he prays for months and months and months because he's going to ask the king if he can go back there. He wants to be the next 
in that next wave of, of Jews to go back to, uh, to, to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. And so he prays, and to make a long story short, he goes to Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes says, absolutely, you can go. I'll give you a time off from your job. And not only will I give you time off from your job, I'll pay for the entire project. And I'll send a, uh, 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 some of my military, you know, I'll send a SEAL Team 6, if you will, with you. Because when you make that 1,000-mile journey, you're going to go through all kinds of, you know, difficult uh, territories and regions, towns, cities, or whatever. And so I want to make sure that you make it from Babylon to Jerusalem in, in, one, in one piece. And so he finally arrives, and um, he gets there, and he checks it out for himself, and he, he motivates the people, and that's what we saw last week. I mean, he gathers all the people together, and he says, man, we got to rebuild the wall, and, and we got to rebuild the city, and the people are going, yeah, yeah, let's do it, okay? Now we're going to see how he organizes the whole thing. And if you want to take your, your little note sheet, um, uh, I was going to read it to you. <laughs> a, I would just butcher all the names up. I guarantee I'd just butcher this thing up. And then, and then uh, I had an idea that there's this guy, he's got this really great voice. And so I just want you to listen. You can follow along, and I want you to listen to Max McLean read uh, uh, chapter 3. Okay, go ahead and start it. Nehemiah 3. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasena'ah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Meremoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshullam, son of Barakah, the son of Mezezebel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Ma'ana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Jehoiada, son of Paseah, and Meshullam, son of Besadiah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mitzpah, Melatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranath, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Harahiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephaiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Haramoth, made repairs opposite his house, and Hatush, son of Hashabniah, made repairs next to him. Malchijah, son of Harim, and Hashab, son of Pehath Moab, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Shalom, son of Halawesh, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The valley gate was repaired by Hanan and the residents of Zenoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. They also repaired 500 yards of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malchijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth HaKerem. He rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalan, son of Kol Jose, ruler of the district of Mitzpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden as far as the steps going down from the city of David. Beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of the half-district of Beth Azur, made repairs to a point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and the house of the heroes. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites under Raham, son of Bani. Beside him, Hashabah, ruler of half the district of Kiela, carried out repairs for his district. 
Next to him, the repairs were made by their countrymen under Binuai, son of Henadad, ruler of the other half-district of Kielah. Next to him, Ezra, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mitzvah, repaired another section from a point facing the ascent to the armory as far as the angle. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Next to him, Meramoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the entrance of Eliashib's house to the end of it. The repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs in front of their house, and next to them, Azariah, son of Maasiah, son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Next to him, Binuai, son of Henadad, repaired another section from Azariah's house to the angle and the corner, and Palal, son of Uzai, worked opposite the angle and tower projecting from the upper palace near the court of the guard. Next to him, Pedaiah, son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel, made repairs up to a point opposite the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gates, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Amir, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. Next to them, Meshullam, son of Barakah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Next to him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants, opposite the inspection gate, and as far as the room above the corner, and between the room above the corner and the sheet gate, the goldsmith and merchants made repairs. I tell you, as I was just listening to that, I saw a number of other things. It's really a fascinating little section of scripture. Um, it's tough. It's a tough section of scripture. In fact, a lot of Bible commentators and preachers just skip it, and I, I probably should have done the same thing. But, but I, I, I do think that there are some, uh, some nuggets that I want to draw out from it that I think can be a real blessing to you because all of the Bible is God's word. And yes, it, that, that's a historical record. Nehemiah, this is Nehemiah's journal. That's basically what the first eight or nine chapters of Nehemiah is. It's his journal. Then, he, then, he, then the nine and beyond probably was written by Ezra. But we know for a fact that the first eight or nine chapters were actually written by him. This is his journal. And this is how he organized the wall. And it went really counterclockwise. And he just kind of walked us all around the walls of Jerusalem. So let me, let me just begin with a couple thoughts here. Number one, when you're organizing simplicity, keep things simple. Okay, when you're organizing a project or whatever, keep things simple. Nehemiah had this huge project in front of him, right? He had to rebuild this wall. He had to rebuild this city or whatever. And to pull it off, he came up with a really simple plan. Number one, the, the, he put the priests together, right? Uh, verse, verse one tells us that. Number two, he put them in a Jericho together. That's verse 2. In verse 3, he put the sons of Hashaniah together. In verse 4, he put the men of Tekoa together in, in, in verse 5. In other words, he didn't try to create a whole big, huge organizational chart. He didn't, you know, try to come up with some complex structure on how to get everything done. He simply, <clears throat> you know, kept things simply, organized around some just natural groups. Let's make this as simple as we can. Now, moms, dads, you need to think about your home. I've been into some homes where, no joke, when I was a youth pastor, and there was an, a chart up on the wall on chores and days and things and who was doing what. And Man, you needed to have a PhD to figure the thing out. And the kids, you know, five, you know, <laughs> take the trash out. I mean, you can make things so complex that nobody gets anything. Boss, owner, 
Here, here's a man who had to rebuild an entire city, the walls around the city, and he just kept things simple. Now, let me give you a, a, an illustration of what I'm talking about. Um, and I, I did all this on eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper because I, I wanted to keep the illustration current. This right here, right there, there's 11 you know, lines. You, 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 you got the Ten Commandments are right here. The, God gave us Ten Commandments. Right here, I know them all. Most of you know what the Ten Commandments are. Here are the ten things that, you know, you'd live by this and everything's going to go fantastic. Pretty simple. This is the um, Constitution. Okay, now it's a little bit more. I mean, you know, most of us know what number two is because of the whole gun debate, you know. But, but this, this is the Constitution, okay? This is what it was going to take to run our country. And the reason I don't have it in my little book is I wanted you to see a reference to the Ten Commandments, which takes up 11 lines, and then you got the Constitution. Okay, over here, I just, just want you to see this, okay? okay this right here is 15 reams of paper, okay? 15 reams of paper. That's what it would take to print out the United States tax code. <laughs> Don't have any other gods before me. No, don't make an idol and worship that idol. Don't, don't misuse my name, God says. Set aside one day and keep it holy. Make it special for me. Hey, honor your mother and your father, will you? Don't, don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. <laughs> I actually was going to have this done. I told my secretary, I said, hey, would you print out the tax code? And uh, after a few minutes, she came back into my office and she said, um, Rick, do you have any idea what, what, what that's going to just cost? I mean, it's going to take three things, a toner. <laughs> Is there any, who, who can figure it out? You see, you can't figure it out. It's so complex, it's just ludicrous. Some intelligent people got together, and this is what they created. Just, just to figure out your taxes. Some good people got together, and this is how you can run the country. Constitution. And of course, they're not God. God can just boil it down to 10 things. There you go, man. It's pretty simple. Let me give you 10 things you can remember. And of course, I know all of you that are CPAs and all that are out there going, praise the Lord. Because <laughs> you got you you a job, right? I mean, you know, you gotta, I mean, who can figure that thing out? The point is, don't create organization if, if you don't need it. It just confuses people. It frustrates people. And you, 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 you can see it just in this one little area here. It's frustrating. And when you in your home, moms, dads, you in your classroom, you in, who own a business, or maybe you're the supervisor in a business, you, you know, you can really frustrate people with just a whole set of complex rules and regulations and all the stuff and all this, you know. Just, just keep things uh, simple. Someone once said, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And, now, what's the most natural grouping of organizations? The family. And you see Nehemiah taking advantage of the family, don't you? In fact, it says this in Nehemiah chapter 4, uh, verse 11, the Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed area. I stationed the people to stand guard by families. 
That's just easy. Hey, listen, Hank's family, you guys are going to be here. Get your spears, get your bows and arrows, you're going to be here. Countryman family, you guys are going to stand guard right here. Hey, Thompson family, you guys are going to be right here. Hey, Chavez family, you're going to guard right there. It's just real simple. I, I know who's in my little platoon. I, I know who's in my little grouping, my family, you see. One of the great laws of leadership is the strongest organizations usually are the simplest. It's like toys. You know those little, when I was a kid, the, the toy that was big was the little block, wooden block that had like an S on it, letters on it. Look, the Russians could nuke us and everything would be gone, but those blocks would remain. You can't destroy those blocks, can you? It's the most complex toys that break in a nanosecond. Man, the more complex something is, the easier it is for it to break and get messed up. But you can't mess up just a simple uh, block. N number two, we're going to hustle through these. Uh, enthusiasm. you got to work with those who want to work. Okay? Work with those who want to work. Verse 5 says, uh, next were the people of Tekoa, though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. Beloved, a lot of leaders never, never learn this. Instead of, you know, putting all their juice into those that want to work or those that want to serve or whatever, they waste a bunch of time and energy trying to corral, you know, the, the lazy. They waste a bunch of energy trying to corral the apathetic. And at some point, you just have to say, you know what? I'm going to work with those that want to work. I, I want to get with those that are enthusiastic about whatever it is we're going to do. And if you don't care all that much, you don't want to be involved in it, then so be it. Either A, I can get rid of you, I can fire you, or just keep moving on. Now, obviously, in the story, most of the people got involved. Men got involved, women got involved, children got involved, white collar got involved, blue collar got involved, religious got involved, non-religious got involved, government workers were involved, business workers were involved, goldsmiths were involved, people who made perfumes were involved. Everybody got involved. Everybody could find a, 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 a place. Most people got involved. Most people were moving bricks and making mortar, but there's always somebody or a group of people that never want to do anything. Now, they want all the bennies. They want all the benefits of whatever it is you're doing. We want the benefits of having a wall up that protects us. We want the benefits of, of having our town rebuilt. But if you think, I'm going to lift a finger to help you, you're out of your mind. Some of you, bless your souls, you love our children's ministries, don't you? Your kid's in there right now being blessed. And we could stand up here for decades and ask you to find your place. Not you. You like these nice chairs and they're comfortable and you like the fact we can turn the air on and the heater on when it needs to be and you like our band and the music and the fact we can amplify sound and you like the fact that there's a parking lot out there. You like all that, but that little green thing goes by you. Man, you're not going to pull your wallet out, man. You don't want, you like all the bennies. You like the bennies but you don't want to participate. And the good news is for a church like this, I'm going to talk about it in a little bit, is man, it's like, it's like Nehemiah 3. Woo! We're building a wall here for the Lord, and most of you have found your place on the wall. Praise the Lord, and you're going for it, and you're doing your little part here to, to further the kingdom, and praise God for that. But there's always going to be somebody who doesn't like what you're doing. They ain't going to do it. By the way, man, sure I'm glad this church could buy these nice chairs. I don't want to sit in something hard. And you know what? Frankly, I don't worry much about those kinds of folks. I just don't. I'm just very grateful for those of you that do serve. You found your place on the wall, so to speak. And you're doing your part here at, 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 at Big Valley Grace. 
Here's the bottom line. In every project, there are two kinds of people, workers and shirkers. Always. 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 Nehemiah's response to the shirkers was to simply ignore them. He, he didn't focus on them. He didn't lose sleep over them. He didn't get bitter over them. He didn't waste a bunch of time trying to corral them. Instead, he focused on those who were willing to work. If you're a leader, you can't worry about people who don't want to get involved. You worry about those that do want to get involved. And you pour your juice into them. And you care about them. Now, a leader, listen to me, a leader loves everybody. A leader loves everybody, but they move with the movers, man. Yes, Nehemiah mentions this, you know, this group of leaders that refuse to participate. He, he mentions them. But all throughout chapter 3, man, he's talking about this guy and that family and this gal and this person. And person made perfume and everybody had their job and everybody was doing their thing. And I'm sure what he did was he probably had a little pen and paper and he made his way around the wall. Whoa, look at the Hanks family. Dude, they're doing this. Whoa, look at, look at the Miller family. They're doing this. Whoa, look at the Chavez family. They're doing this. Whoa, look at the Thompson family. They're doing this. Ah, there's a group of leaders. They're losers. They don't want to do anything. Oh, look at these guys. Yeah, he, he saw them. You, you can always spot them. They're, they're, not, they're not hard to find. But you just don't spend a lot of time on it. You just, you just move with those that really want to move. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 14. Each of us will give a personal account to God. And I want you to know that this is one of those passages in the Word that, that scares me a little bit. Yeah, that, that's a verse that just scares me. The Bible says that one day I'm going to give an account to God of my life for the direction of how this you know, the direction of this church, how I serve this church. Now, I'm not going to be judged for my sin. That was taken care of when I gave my life to Jesus. Done. But someday I will stand before God, and him and I will have a, a little conversation about how I led this church. That's a weighty thing. You'll give an account for how you ran your business. You'll give an account for how you led your home. You'll give an account for, you know, whatever it is. Whatever it is that God calls you to do. Beloved, God's keeping a record of my, my service here. A record of my stewardship here. And it really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. All that matters is what God thinks or what God knows. See, God knows. I can fake you out and I can say all these great things, but let me tell you something. God knows. And he knows about your life too. Now, now I'll do what I can to, to encourage you to get involved and all that kind of stuff. I'll make sure that we have ongoing classes like the SHAPE class to help you find your place to serve here at Big Valley Grace. I'll, I'll do all that. But at the end of the day, I can't make anybody do anything. I'm not going to stand before God and give an account for Rick Hanks' life. I'm not. I'm not going to stand before God and give an account for Gordon Agrella's life. I'm not going to stand before God and give an account for Rick Thompson's life or Pat Chavez's life. I will stand before God and give an account for my own. Now, all of us will try to encourage you to serve and do whatever your part on the wall is. Okay? But at the end of the day, you will stand before God. I can't make anybody do anything. Number three, delegation. You've got to give responsibility away. Okay, uh, a good organizer just knows how to give responsibility away. Beloved, I want you to imagine, Nehemiah's got everybody revved up to, you know, uh, build the walls, and finally everybody says, well, let's do it, you know. Chapter 2, let's go rebuild the walls, man. Let, 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 let's get her done. Well, what if he would have said, go for it. Start doing whatever you want, man. Woo, go. I mean, could you imagine the chaos? It just would have been chaotic, totally chaotic. The key word in chapter 3 is the word section. It's used about 13 times. Nehemiah walked around the entire wall and divided it up by sections. By the way, some people ask, is uh, America, uh, American politics ever mentioned in Scripture? And it is. 
It's mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 23. It says, In the temple servants living on the wall, Opal made repairs to the point opposite the water gate. That's just, that's just so lame. Some of, some of you are like really young going, ah, I don't get it. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not, I don't know. I, I don't even know why I threw that in there. Anyway, here's the deal. Here's my point. Um, it's obvious that Nehemiah had thought this out. Obviously, you, you can't read through or, or listen to, to, to chapter 3 and not go, whoa. He has thought this thing out. He's put everything together in sections, and he's now delegating out these sections. And probably, you know, uh, if you were here last week, there, um, before he kind of lays out the plan, remember he goes out at night, and he inspected the walls for himself, and I'm sure as he was inspecting the walls for himself, I don't know, maybe he got a tape measure out, and he's going, okay, there's this section, okay, and then there's this section, and okay, and there's this section. And he found out some things about the people that lived around there. And he delegated out responsibility. Okay, so when you're organizing, you got to keep it simple. you got to work with those that want to work, and you, you delegate. Now let me give you two thoughts as it relates to to, to delegating real cool, real, real, real quick. Number one, break down major goals into smaller tasks, okay? Nehemiah attacks this huge problem of building the wall by breaking it down into bite-sized pieces. He gave everybody a small little task to, uh, to do. And we do that here at Big Valley Grace. To make a weekend happen here is unbelievable. You just have no idea how big a task it is to make this happen. Now, you, you just come, and it just seems like it, it just really flows really well. But there's a lot of things that happen. Somebody has to print all the stuff that went into your program. Then there's a group of people that come down here on Fridays, and they have to take all the stuff that was printed, and they have to put them into the program. Then there's somebody that actually hands that program out to you. Just, just for you to get your hands on that program was a pretty amazing thing. Then you've got, you know, somebody has to uh, collect the offering. Somebody has to count the offering. Somebody has to take the offering to the bank. Somebody has to track all of your giving so that, you know, tax reports, which I think is somewhere right here. I think, I think this is the one in here that says you can give to a church, at least for now. Uh, that that is sent out to you. You have no clue how, you know, all of the juice it, it takes just for that little moment where you can honor the Lord with your wealth. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty amazing thing, mailing out all of the, the envelopes to all of you, tracking your numbers, making sure the money that you give goes to whatever it is that, that it goes to. You know, somebody has to think through a message. Somebody then takes the message and has to make all the slides for it. Somebody then has to take the message and put all the stuff in the jumbotrons, you know, uh, or, or in the program for, for you. Somebody has to take the message and then make the daily meditation page. Uh, <laughs> you know, these guys, you know, they've been rehearsing songs and practicing songs and getting stuff together and... Uh, to make this happen on the weekend, no one soul could, could pull it off. And so what you do is you look at Nehemiah and you go, wow, let's see how Nehemiah pulled off his big thing. And so what you do is you begin to kind of look at that and he broke it down into these sections. He delegated things out, gave people the things that they really, really, really like doing. N number two, you got to match the right person with the right task. Beloved, nothing will kill a project faster than putting the wrong person on, on a task. It causes all kinds of motivational problems because when you're doing something that you're not good at, you get discouraged and you want to give up. And so a good delegator goes, okay, you're really good at this kind of stuff, let's make sure you're doing this stuff. Hey, you're really good at this, let's make sure you're doing this. Hey, you're really good at this, let's make sure you're doing this. If I was a part of this family, and if God keeps me around long enough, you know, I'll be old, and, and uh, there'll be some young whippersnapper up here leading this church, but I'm going to be a part of it. Um, 
you know, I guarantee you, you're not going to find me holding babies. <laughs> just ain't going to happen. It'll be a motivational nightmare for those that work in there because I don't want to do it. You know, I'm just going to be counting down the moment till the preacher's done. And it's like, dude, man, can't you end on time? I always did. You know? <laughs> how the, the Lord will get back to me. I, I don't know. In other words, I'll find a place where, where I'm really good at it. And we want to do that here. It's what our shape class is all about. We want to help you find the place where you're really good at whatever it is that, that, that you do. And we have a group of people who love to garden here. So they paint up little things, plant flowers, and they put flowers out in the Welcome Center. And anybody that I meet is here for the first time, I give them one of those flowers because that's what they like doing. We have a prayer garden. People go out there and you know, work in the prayer garden because that's what they like doing. See, So some people like to sing and some people like to play instruments. Praise the Lord for that. Some people like walking around and protecting cars. They like doing security kind of stuff. Some people do like holding babies. Some people like mentoring teenagers. There's all kinds of things, you see, you can do. Some people like to be techs and there are people you don't even see that are running these jumbotrons. They're up in what we call third heaven. <laughs> and it's, a, it's this dank, dark little room. And the, and the only time you ever know about them is when they screw up. They're like, you know, it's like, hey, hey, what are you doing? I mean, there's so many places. You want to try to get people together in those right spots, and that's what you see uh, uh, Nehemiah doing here. Uh, number four, ownership, you know, create opportunities for buy-in. Verse 10, next, uh, Jed, uh, Jedediah repaired the wall across from his own home. Verse 23, after them, Benjamin repaired the section across from their house, uh, as Ariziah repaired the section across from his house. Verse 28, above the horse gate, the priests repaired the wall. Each one repaired the section immediately across from their own home. And this goes on and on and on. Beloved, Nehemiah created opportunity for buy-in, ownership. Think about it. If you'd been there... Which section of the wall would you have been pumped about fixing? The one that looked outside your, your kitchen window, right? You'd be highly motivated. You'd have buy-in. You'd want, I'll take that section. Why? Because it's your front yard. And so what, what he did was he didn't force people, well, Hanks, I know you want to do that right there, but I'm going to send you down the road a half mile and you're going to, no, man, you want that section, you got it. And guess what? Because it's what you're looking at, you're going to do it, you're going to do a better job. Think about it. There's no commuting. All Rick has to do is walk out. There he is. Boom, he's at work. For lunch, boom, he goes home, eats a sandwich. Boom, he's right back out working again. No commuting. Unbelievable what, what Nehemiah was putting together here. I mean, he really had, you know, thought this, this thing through. The Bible says in, in verse 1, Elishabeth, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Beloved, the sheep gate was the closest gate to the temple because that's where the people would bring their sheep to be sacrificed. So Nehemiah allowed them to work in the area that interests them, you see. And that's part of what you want to do when you're delegating. Look, my son, there are certain things he really likes to do. There are things my, my other daughter loves to do. My oldest daughter likes to do different things. And part of being the leader in the home, my wife and I look at them and we go, okay, you know, I don't want to force this, you know, daughter to do this. She really doesn't like doing it. But man, my son, he likes doing it. So let's just let him do that. That'll be his chore. And she really likes doing this. And guess what? I don't have to, you know, go rally the troops and try to motivate everybody to do things. They, they're in an area that they like doing things. Here at Big Valley Grace, I'll just use Joel as an example, our, our high school pastor. He was on staff here. He was our junior high pastor. And at some moment, we had an opening in our um, creative services area, uh, slides and internet and all that. And he came and he goes, you know what, I, I'd really... I think that's something I'd really like to do. And so guess what we did? Man, if that's what you want to do, we moved him there. And man, he was all motivated, and he did that for a long time, and it was great. And then we had an opening in our high school ministry. And he said, you know, man, I, I really think that that's where I, I'd like to serve. Well, we moved him there then. You see, if I keep a guy in a place he really doesn't want to be or a gal in a place they really don't want to be, then, it's, then you're always having to motivate him and get him pumped up and do all this stuff. 
But you get somebody in a place, your, their, your children, your employees, whatever it might be, get them in that place where they're really gifted, something they really like, and watch them go for it. That was a principle that, 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 that Nehemiah had. Here at Big Valley Grace, you know, we got all kinds of stuff, as I mentioned. We, we got cooking. You know, if you like to cook, we got a ministry for you. All the funerals that we do here, you know, that we provide all the food. And so there are a group of people who, who love to cook, and they make up all the food. And so when people come for a funeral, all they have to do is come and grieve and hang out with people. We handle all that. If, if somebody goes into the hospital, you know, and, and there's not going to be any food, you know, the guy doesn't know how to cook usually, and we think he's going to starve to death. Um, you know, we'll, we, we got a whole group of people who love to cook, and we make meals. You know, you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to, if, if it was given to me, oh, man, oh, man, oh, I got to have the food over there in five minutes, oh, man. I'd go buy burgers, and I'd wrap them, take them out of the wrapping, and, you know, put them on plates like I actually cooked them. You know, hey, I was, you know, that's not what I'm good at. And God says, that's okay. You don't have to be good at that. I made you good at something else. Just make sure that you have people in my church that are good at that and make opportunities for them to, to, to use those gifts. Number five, teamwork. You got to encourage joint effort. One of the phrases that you read over and over again in this passage is, is the phrase, next to him, next to him, next to them. In fact, it's used about 20 times. Okay, they helped each other. They encouraged each other. There was great uh, teamwork and all that kind of stuff. The Bible, when referring to Christians in the church, uses the phrase one another about 58 different times. Help one another, serve one another, pray for one another, confess your sins to one another, all that kind of stuff. Beloved, you can't miss the importance of doing life together when you read the Bible. God wants us to have teamwork in life. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. We're in this together. We're a team. There's tremendous power in cooperation, and you see that in this text. And uh, somebody that's a good organizer figures out ways to put teams together. On Friday, there isn't one person putting that program together. Could one person do it? Probably. But there's a team together. And while they're doing it, they're laughing and they're talking and they're you know, joking around and they're hearing about each other's lives and, hey, I'm praying for you. And every so often I think somebody buys them pizzas and, and I'll walk in here on a Friday and there's a party going on out there. They're doing life together, you see. If you were to come here on a, on a Saturday night or a Sunday and get here early tomorrow morning, there'll be all these groups of people out there, all the greeters at the doors, and they're all together, a team of them, and they're praying, they're laughing, they're talking, they're having coffee together. There's all, the team of ushers are together, praying, enjoying each other's company. As best you can, you want to bring teams together because there's, there's just energy in that. In our men's ministry, yeah, we've got a pastor, but they, they got a team of guys in there. And they're always down here having lunch, usually on, on Wednesdays, and you go in there, and they're all sitting around the table, the team of guys, and they're laughing, strategizing, thinking, uh, you know, uh, 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 about things. And last but not least, write, write this down, uh, Appreciation. You know, you got to recognize a, a, a job well done. As I read this chapter, here, here's the deal. Let me tell you. I came to the conclusion that the whole purpose of chapter 3 was that Nehemiah was, simply wanted to give credit to where credit was due. I mean, think about this. Think about this. He knew all of their names. I mean, here's this guy who shows up, and he knew, oh, man, it's the Hanks family. Hey, Hanks, man. I... Hey, hey, you know, it's the Miller family. Woo. Hey, it's the Chavez family. Hey, it's the, the Miller family. Hey, it's the Thompson family. It's the Greek family. It, it, it's the Agrella family. And he's writing these things down. It's in his journal. Hey, listen, listen to me. Forever. And ever, and ever, and ever, all of those people will be remembered because the word of God will be around forever. It'll be around forever. And he wrote their names down. 
Here it is, 2,500 years later. I'm talking about these guys. Now, I'm butchering their names up, but I'm talking about them. And the reason why I'm talking about them is, I, is because I think Nehemiah was honoring them by writing their names into this journal. By letting us know, you know, we, 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 we know them. There's about 38 different names that he rattles off. And I got the feeling, man, he was talking with the Thompson family. Man, this is fantastic, Thompsons. You're doing a great job on this wall, and I'm going to make sure it's in my journal. And when I get a chance, I'm going I'm to talk about that. Hey, hey, Hank's family, man, this is fantastic what you're doing here with this wall. This is great. I just want you to know you're going in my journal. This is really a great, great thing. I think every one of those people knew that their names were going to be written in this journal. Now, little did they know it was going to end up being a part of the Word of God. One of the things that you can do is do your best to just know people's names. Just know their names. When you walk into your business, do you, do you, do you try to know most of the people? Do you know their names? Do you know something about their life? Do, 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 do you know? You know, one of the things that we do as a pastoral staff is every week on Mondays, we write 10 thank you notes to somebody. So Scott Miller and and Rick Thompson, uh, myself, John Byron back there. I don't know whether pastors might be in the room, but every pastor here, they, they think about at least 10 people in the church, lay people. It could be somebody working in children's ministry, an usher, a greeter. It could be the guy up in the third heaven. And we're, we're just, all we, we just take some time and we send them thank you notes. Hey, thank you for serving the Lord. Thank you for what you're doing. What's going on in your, in your life? Somebody may get to. We don't coordinate who we're sending those things off to. But it is one of the ways that we, we, we say uh, thank you. Now, there was one guy who, who gets a special shout out in verse 20. Uh, Barak, son of Zabbai, zealously repaired another section. Nehemiah tells us that everybody did a good job. But this guy, this guy was doing something over and above. And so he's going around and he's doing all this thing. Man, this is really great. Man, oh, man, it's fantastic. And he gets to this dude and it's like, whoa. I don't know, maybe the guy was always the first on the job. Maybe he was always the last to leave. Maybe he always had a smile on his face. I don't know. Maybe he never complained. I don't know what it was he was doing. We don't really know. But for whatever reason, he went, this guy zealously is working for the Lord. Man, this guy is really going over and above the, 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 the call of duty. And I want you to know that God always notices those kinds of things. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Nothing. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anybody else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. And then Galatians chapter 6 says, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you are working for the Lord rather than, than, than people. And I think we're, we're admonished in the word to work hard, to work zealously, because God knows, God's watching God understands all those, those, those kinds of things. Look, God hasn't told us to build a wall, but he has told us to get involved somewhere. All of you. There, there's a place for you at the wall here at Big Valley Grace. There's a place for you. And one of the things I want you to understand, and I'm not trying to be mean or poke anybody in the eye or whatever, look, there were three kinds of people who we see here in Nehemiah chapter 3. There were those who did no work at all. There were those that did some work. And then there was at least one guy that worked zealously. And, and God noticed all three. We just read about all three of them. He noticed those who weren't doing anything. He noticed those who were doing their share. And he noticed those who were going above the, and beyond the, the, the call of duty. God notices all that. And so as I wrap this up. Which of those three might best describe you? Do you do something? Are you zealously serving the Lord? Are you doing nothing? And, and this is the moment where maybe the Holy Spirit can, can work in your life. Hebrews 
Chapter 6 says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him. Revelation chapter 2 says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. God, God sees it all. And my prayer has been that somehow maybe tonight's the night that you go, you know what? I've got to find my place on the wall. Now, a lot of you have your place. Most of you have your place. But maybe you've been waiting, putting it off, and now's the time to say, I got to get on the wall. I got my thing I can do. You, you can't do this, but maybe you, you, you can make perfume. Somebody who made perfume is mentioned. Goldsmiths were mentioned. All kinds of things were mentioned. There's a place, I guarantee you, that you can get involved. Father, thanks, Lord, for our chance to be together here. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray that somehow you would use this in people's lives, God. I'm so grateful for the Word of God. I'm just grateful for this little section. It's just rich. It's rich. And may all of us somehow find our place on the wall. And uh, Chad, would you wrap up our time now?